here we go, everybody. Another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on an Wednesday, August 30th, 2017, as we put August in the rear view and head into September. You know what that means? Football season right around the corner. We've got college games kicking off the Saturday. Actually, there were already some games, uh, none of s- sort of any significance, but there were some games already played. We've got uh, the big Alabama-Florida State matchup coming this weekend. Uh, NFL kicks off next Thursday. Uh, last cut down uh, in the NFL for rosters getting set will happen over the weekend, so that will certainly bear watching. Uh, bringing you out today was Hart, the Wilson sisters from Seattle with Magic Man. And we start with that because... A man who could be described as such at times, Mr. Matthew Stafford, quarterback of My Lions, inking a brand new five-year, $135 million contract extension yesterday. Uh, This was something that had been in the works for quite a long time. Uh, If you follow the lines even a little bit or closely, uh, you knew this was this was fairly inevitable. Listen, there, there, there are there are the no nothings out there like Stephen A. Smith, who, who how that guy still has a job is is beyond me. I mean, if you could know nothing about every sport except for maybe basketball, and also be super annoying somehow, I guess that's a formula for success to be on television and run your your yap all the time. So, except for idiots like that uh, who don't know how football works, don't understand, probably has never seen Matthew Stafford play more than one or two games in his whole career. Uh, you knew that, first of all, this is a no-brainer. I mean, it's an absolute no-brainer. It's a no-brainer for the Lions. Um, listen, it's very simple in the NFL. We talk about it all the time. If you have a quarterback, you have a shot. If you don't have a quarterback, you have no shot. And we've talked about it many, many times on the show. But for those of you who may be new listeners, we'll go through it again. Matthew Stafford, certainly not the best quarterback in the league. And this is not what this is about. Okay, being the highest paid player now in the NFL, the highest paid quarterback, is he better than Tom Brady? No. Is he better than Aaron Rodgers? No. But this is how it works. He's 29. Derek Carr just got the biggest deal for a quarterback because he's like 26 and he's up and coming. And so he got 25 million a year. Stafford was going to get more than him. Derek Carr's not better than those guys either. He's really good. He's the future of of the Raiders for now. But that's just how it works. And then the next guy in two years is going to be, you know, I don't know who it's going to be. Maybe it's going to be, unfortunately, Jameis Winston. Or maybe it will be somebody that, you know, is going to make a name for themselves this year. Or next year. And then that guy will get paid more than Stafford. And then there will be the hue and cry again. Oh, this guy's not the best quarterback. That's beside the point. That's just how it works in the NFL. And again, with the NFL contracts, you have to look at it from a guaranteed money standpoint. The the total figures are irrelevant. We know this. Guys rarely, if ever, see the full length and or money on these deals. So it's yes, five years, 135 million. The key number here is 92 million guaranteed. Um, it's spread out and structured in such a way that it will not hold. The Lions hostage from a salary camp 
cap standpoint because the salary cap goes up every year. As a matter of fact, the Lions just saved about $7 million on this year's cap, which is interesting because that gives them some flexibility to maybe make a move here in the last week before the start of the regular season or even during the regular season prior to the trade deadline to maybe go get a guy like Sheldon Richardson from the Jets and they could fit him under the cap because the Lions are in desperate need of talented, quality defensive linemen, guys that can get after the quarterback. Sheldon Richardson can do that. And I think a change of scenery would be perfect for him, particularly on a team that could contend this year, whereas the Jets are going nowhere. So it it makes perfect sense. Listen, you don't want to bring Matt Stafford back. Who are you going with? You want to go with Jake Rudock? Now, he's looked good in the preseason. Six-round pick out of Michigan last year. Of course, everybody, you know, draws some parallels there between he and Brady. Um, I mean, only, again, only because both were six-round picks and both were from Michigan. The, 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 the similarities begin and end there for now. Now, look, yes, he's looked good in the preseason, and I feel good about him being the backup quarterback to Stafford. Stafford, God forbid, has to go miss two, three, four games this year. I'm not going to feel like the Lions have no shot to win if Jake Rudock is the quarterback in those games. Whereas last year with Dan Orlovsky, that would have been my feeling. So I'm happy with Jake Rudock as a backup. And that's why Dan Quinn drafted him. And Dan Quinn drafted another quarterback in the sixth round this year, Brad Kaya, who I think the Lions would love to see on the practice squad, just like Rudock did last year. And groom him, and then guess what? You've got a tradable asset. You've got a tradable chip because quarterbacks are so hard to come by in the NFL. You need to look no further than the Jets and that train wreck. I mean, they they gambled and, you know, a massive reach on Christian Hackenberg last year in the draft, the second-round pick. He's looked awful in the preseason, absolutely awful. Does not look like he's ready to play. Now, the Jets are going to be awful either way, so why you wouldn't just throw him to the Wolves, I have no idea. You know, they're going to play Josh McCown at 38 years old and his 18-45 and 45 career record or whatever it is. You know, now listen, it's not, it's not only his record. You know, that's, that's, people use that against Stafford. Oh, well, he's 0-3 in the playoffs. Well, hey, dummies, go back and look at the actual playoff games that he's played in. Go look at his statistics in the first playoff game that he played in in 2011 against the Saints. As a matter of fact, we're going to do that right now. We're going to do that right now because I'm so sick of this ridiculously lazy argument um, that, you know, oh, he's 0-3. The play- Can you win a playoff? That's, that's, that's genius Stephen A. Smith's argument. Win a playoff game, please, before you get paid. Yeah. Again, quarterbacks are not starting pitchers, okay? They don't have records, okay? Now, I know everyone, you know, Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady. Yeah, that was all him against the... The Falcons in the Super Bowl, you know, when he's getting balls batted in the air and they're somehow landing in the arms of his receivers, or when Matt Ryan got strip sacked and a fumble was recovered by the Patriots. That was Tom Brady, I guess, had a lot to do with that play. Or when Tom Brady throws what should be an interception and the ball's an inch from the ground, somehow Julian Edelman scoops it up off the ground before it falls incomplete. Yeah. Come on. Yes, we understand the quarterback is the most important position, but they are not starting pitchers, okay? All right, let's see if we can find his stats here because he played great, is my point, in that Saints game. Okay, you ready? 
You ready, dope Stephen A. Smith? You ready for this, you numbskull? In the game, by the way, the Lions lost 45-28. Their defense didn't show up. The Lions had 20, scored 28 points. Lions in secondary, I think, dropped four interceptions that game. Plus got refed out of the building, too, as usual. 28 for 43 for a 65% completion percentage. 380 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. I think one of them was, you know, sort of a, a give, you know, when the Lions were down two or three scores late in the game. So, and, and you know, they, they basically, you know, he basically has to throw the ball up for grabs and pray and hope. Okay. So one of those interceptions, fairly meaningless, didn't take, didn't take any sacks and had a rushing TD. So let's see. He accounted for all four of the Lions touchdowns in this first playoff game ever in 2011. He was not the reason they lost that game. Is my point. Nothing to do with Matthew Stafford. Next playoff game is against the Cowboys. 28 for 42. 66% completions. 323 yards. One touchdown. One interception. Now you want to get on? Be fair. I'll be fair. Stafford did uh, take a sack. The last drive of that game, the Lions had a chance to, to overcome the ridiculous officiating member picking up the pass interference flag. But Lions should have won that game. The whole world knows that. Stafford played well enough for the Lions to win. Again, not the reason they didn't win that game. The refs were. Plain and simple. And then last year against Seattle, granted the numbers are not good. 18 for 32, 205 yards. Uh, No touchdowns, no interceptions. Anybody remember Golden Tate? First, uh, third down of the game. Drops a perfectly uh, placed pass. That would have been a first down. Second uh, series of the game, Eric Ebron on third down. Drops a perfectly uh, placed pass. Marvin Jones dropped. I mean, the, the Lions receivers were a joke. They gave him no help in that game. So, yes, Matthew Stafford is 0-3 in the playoffs. He's not 0-3. He's not the reason the Lions, not only is he not the reason the Lions didn't win those playoff games, he's the reason or one of the main reasons why they made the playoffs those three years. Last year in particular, since they had eight comeback wins out of their nine wins, and he led them to eight of those were Matthew Stafford leading the team down for game-winning touchdowns or field goals. Or game-tying field goals in the case of the Vikings, and then game-winning touchdown in overtime against the Vikings on the road. So, the Stephen A. Smiths of the world, why don't you do a little, just a little, homework and research. And understand, and try and show you know a little bit about what you're talking about when it comes to Matthew Stafford. Now, listen... Is he a perfect quarterback? No, not by any stretch. But he is better than two-thirds of the quarterbacks in the NFL. He's better than two-thirds of them. And again, he's 29 years old. And he's, knock wood, played, you know, in like five straight after being injury-prone early in his career. He hasn't missed a start in five years. And he's a good guy. And he wants to be there. That all matters. But the most important thing is, can the guy play? Yes. It's all well and good if you're a good guy. If you stink, nobody wants you. So, yes, I understand he was the first overall pick, and he's been in the league now eight years. And you would have thought or hoped that there would be more on-the-field success. I get it. I'm a Lions fan. 
But he's also, remember, took over an 0-16 team, the only team in the history of the sport to do that. He came in to a team that was run into the ground by Matt Millen and then didn't do him and then had Martin Mayhew as his GM who didn't do a much better job than Matt Millen, frankly. And so Bob Quinn, the new general manager, hired away from the Patriots last year, looked around and said, listen, this is a no brainer. Now we'll see what Bob Quinn can do. So far, the early returns are pretty positive. Got to give a GM probably three years before you can make a sound determination. I'd say three drafts, three off seasons before you can really make an informed determination as to whether or not that GM is doing a good or a bad job. But bringing Stafford back and giving him this money, I mean, it's a no-brainer. As my dad said yesterday, you want to give him 10% of Ford Motor Company, it's fine, fine by me. And again, who are you going to get that's better? No one. You're going to tank the year and hope you get one of these uh, quarterbacks, you know, the, the kid from UCLA, Rosen, or, or Darnold from USC, the kid from Wyoming which is basically what the Jets are doing? Of course not. Again, Stafford's 29. He's not 34. I mean, look at the quarterbacks in his division. Okay? Other than Aaron Rodgers, you would take him over whoever the Bears are trotting out there, Mike Glennon or Mitch Trubisky. Now listen, maybe in three years, Mitch Trubisky is going to be great. I don't know. But right now, it's not, it's not even a debate. And you certainly take him over whatever hack the uh, Vikings are trotting out. One of which, by the way, is Sam Bradford, who was the number one overall pick himself the year after Stafford. So he's better than two out of the three quarterbacks in your division. Go to the NFC East. Uh, you wouldn't take him over Eli, but it's close. Eli's got the two Super Bowls. They're very similar quarterbacks in a lot of ways. Both very good late in games. Both sometimes make some plays and make you scratch your head. But, you know, Eli's got the two Super Bowls. I have no problem with that. You take Eli over him. But it's close. It's not, it's not, complete, not, not, it's not like a, it's not a Stafford versus Sam Bradford situation. But definitely you take Eli over Matthew. I mean, I understand Dak Prescott set the world on fire last year. Um, I think you'd still take Stafford and his body of work over Dak Prescott right now. Now, if you want to say, well, he's an up-and-coming guy, okay, that's fine. I think if you were a GM and you had to win a playoff game tomorrow, all things being equal, you're going to take Stafford over Dak Prescott. I mean, remember, not to take anything away from Dak Prescott, he also played in the perfect situation last year. Great offensive line, great running game, and a stud receiver, and a stud tight end. The Cowboys were able to protect him and kind of keep him out of harm's way. Not to take anything away from him. Kudos to him. He did great. But again, it's a debate. I think it's debatable. Uh, I would take Stafford over Kirk Cousins, who, by the way, is making $24 million on the franchise tag this year. People want to go crazy about $27 million. Kirk Cousins, Mr. Statistics, you know, Mr. Garbage Time, Mr. Window Dressing Guy, can, but can never win a big game for you. I mean, he, he was awful late in the year last year when the Redskins needed him the most. Awful. So you're taking Matt Stafford over Kirk Cousins. 
And, you know, listen, I understand if you're a Philly fan, you're going to say, I'm going to take Carson Wentz because that's my guy. I get it. But if you're going to be completely objective about it, you're taking Matt Stafford over Carson Wentz right now. If you're a GM with no sort of dog in the fight, you're, you're, you're a GM of another team that's not the Lions, it's not the Eagles, you're going to take Matthew Stafford over Carson Wentz right now. Now, in three years from now, that might sound ludicrous. Who knows? Maybe Carson Wentz is going to win two Super Bowls in the next three years. And he certainly showed a lot of promising signs last year, his rookie season. Not saying he's a dog, but right now you would take Stafford over him. For the, for the purposes of this exercise, which is to say that Matthew Stafford is basically better than two-thirds of the quarterbacks in the league, I would say you'd have to take Stafford over Carson Wentz. So right now you've got two divisions. You take two quarterbacks over Stafford. The rest I think you take Stafford over those other guys. Now you go to the South. Before last year, you'd probably take Stafford over Matt Ryan or call it a push. I guess you take, you take Matt Ryan now over Stafford. But it's close. But, you know, Ryan got them to a Super Bowl last year. So, I mean, not only by himself, but, again, the Falcons did make the Super Bowl with Matt Ryan last year. Matt Ryan was uh, the MVP last year, uh, in large part because Brady also was suspended for the first four games of the year. Not to take anything away from Matt Ryan. He He had a wonderful year last year. But prior to last year, they were pretty much kind of the same guy. And, gee, surprise, surprise. You gave Matt Ryan a really good running game with Tevin Coleman and Deonta Freeman, Devontae Freeman rather, and uh, an opportunistic defense that got after the quarterback and created turnovers. And gee, it's amazing how much better Matt Ryan got. Remember the year before, Matt Ryan stunk. They had no running game. The defense was lousy. He threw a bunch of terrible interceptions, pick sixes, the whole nine. So interesting how that works. But Okay. You want to take Matt Ryan over Stafford? Fine. You want to take Drew Brees over Stafford based on body work? Fine. Drew Brees is also like 38 years old. Stafford's 29. But you want to take Drew Brees over him? That's okay. That's cool. Cam Newton? I mean, I wouldn't. I'm not a Cam guy, though. I'm not objective enough. I need like AG here with me. And then Jameis Winston. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm taking Stafford over Jameis Winston. But if you even want to take those other three quarterbacks in the South over Stafford, I I can't argue. But again, I think there's a debate to be had there. It's not cut and dried. And then you go out to the West. I'm taking Stafford over Carson Palmer. Taking him over anybody. The 49ers are trotting out there, whether it's Matt Barkley or uh, Brian Hoyer. Taking him over whoever the Rams are trotting out there, which I guess it's going to be Jared Goff. And I guess you would take Russell Wilson over Stafford. Although, again, I think it's debatable. But listen, uh, you know, he's got a better body of work so far, Russell Wilson does. He's also been on much better teams. But okay. And then in the AFC, the Jets, not even in debate. The Bills, not even in debate. Patriots, obviously, you take him Brady. And uh, the Dolphins, you're taking Stafford over anybody they have. Certainly right now, Jay Cutler, but even over Tannehill. You go to the South, anybody over – anyone on the te- – te- I mean, you put Ma- put Matthew Stafford on the Texans, by the way. Probably a Super Bowl team. But that defense in a running game, probably a Super Bowl team. So you, you take him over anybody the Texans have. 
I guess you would take luck over him. Although, you know, luck's a little, uh, little Lux luster is worn off here. Lux luster. It's like a tongue twister. I'm saying, you know, the bloom is off the luck rose a little bit here the last couple of years. And again, not always necessarily through all, of, you know, the fault is not certainly all his own. You know, they've done a bad job with the defense there. They've not done a great job building an offensive line in front of them. But I think whereas three, four years ago, you would have definitely taken luck over Stafford. I think it's much closer now. Um, I'm still taking Stafford over Mariota. Now, again, if you're a Titans fan, you want to tell me, Jamal, that's my guy. Yeah, I get it. Again, I'm looking at this from an objective GM's perspective. I think they would take Matthew Stafford over Marcus Mariota. And then who else is that? You got Tennessee, Houston, Indianapolis, and uh, who else have we got here now in the uh, (laughs) – oh, boy. I'm losing it. I am losing it. Uh, Houston, Indianapolis, Tennessee, and the – oh, my goodness. I have to really look this up to find out. Who the fourth team in the uh, in the NFC South is? Here it is. AFC South, rather. Oh, the Jaguars. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Enough said. Yeah, I think it's pretty. I think that's a pretty easy call. Matthew Stafford or Blake Bortles. So, all right, let's 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 do a quick tally. In the NFC East, you take. I would I'd say probably Eagles and Redskins two. NFC North, two. NFC South, you want to give me one? Okay. I'll even err on the side of caution and conservatism there. And in the West, I'm taking them over every quarterback except Russell Wilson. So that's three. The East, Bills, Dolphins, Jets, that's three. AFC South, Texans, Jaguars, Titans, three. We'll, we'll, give, we'll, give, it, we'll give luck the nod there, I guess. Although I think it's close to a push, and I think you can make the argument Stafford's better now. Um, AFC North, Ravens. I'm taking Stafford over Flacco. I am. I think he's better. I know Flacco made a Super Bowl. They won a Super Bowl. Uh, I'm sorry. I think Stafford's a better quarterback. Uh, he's better than Andy Dalton. He's better than anybody that the Browns are trotting out. And I would take Roethlisberger over Stafford because of his postseason. Um, and, you know, he's really good quarterback. So I, I'm going three in that division. And then AFC West, Broncos, yes. Chiefs, yes. Chargers, all right, you want to give me Phillip Rivers over him? Fine. Go ahead. Not going to argue. And you know what? Uh, if you're a Raiders fan, I get it. You're going to want to take Derek Carr. So we'll call it a push, there, a split, two for two. So that's, that's three, six, nine, 12, 14, 16, 18, 19. That's 19. And I think it's being a little conservative, frankly. So that's 19 teams that would love to have Matthew Stafford as their quarterback out of 32. Again, it's not a question of worth. He's worth it if that's what he's going to get paid. And again, in this context, I mean, he's the most important. I mean, I know the quarterback's the most important player for the most part on every team. But in the Lions case, it's especially true. Again, they won nine games last year, eight of which were Matthew Stafford leading comeback wins in the fourth quarter or overtime. So it's not even a debate to me whether or not the Lions should have done this. It's a win-win for both sides. 
I'm thrilled they got it out of the way. And, you know, listen, he's so easy to root for. The guy is humble. He gives his teammates credit. You know, you never see him yelling at guys on the sideline, screaming and showing guys up like a lot of these other clowns do. He's just a class act all the way. I'm thrilled for him. And I would love, love to see that guy get a Super Bowl at some point before his career is over. Obviously, as a fan, but really also for him. Because, you know, I think it would certainly solidify his legacy. All right, we'll take a short break. We'll be back right after this. And we are back here on another edition of Jamal About Sports. That, of course, was the ocean blue with Between Something and Nothing. And I think that also uh, an appropriate title as we move on to our next topic. So you just heard the the benevolent, if you will, the, the nice Jamal Hayden when it comes to uh, sports and sports figures. Now you're going to hear the, the, the bitter and, and, and angry. And, uh, and I'm probably going to take a lot of flack for this. Uh, take, but I don't really care. <laughs> um, and that is the uh, supposed David Wright saga. Um, as I have uh, pointed out and have complained about all year, um, this idiotic idea that he's somehow going to come back and play for the Mets, and therefore the Mets have to hold themselves and he has to hold the Mets hostage uh, while they figure out what David Wright's going to do about coming back to play third base, and, you know, he's owed all this money because the Mets idiotically gave him a huge contract, however many years ago it was now. Um, and so he, we got all excited. I mean, I didn't, but the media got all excited that, you know, three days ago he played five innings at third base in a single-A uh, minor league game. And, you know, uh, and then he – or he first he dh then he played five innings in the field and whatever. Now he's announced that uh, the shoulder hurts him again. Uh, he has to go see his doctor again and, uh, you know, no announcements to be made pending further, uh, examination. And then, you know, Mike Vaccaro in the post writes a story to say, oh, it's so sad for both sides. What, what is sad? Listen, I understand. I have no ill will towards David Wright, the person. Okay. David Wright, by all accounts, is a stand up guy, a good guy, a good teammate. I get it. All right. I have no, I have nothing against David Wright, the person. Okay. But David Wright has not had a relevant season statistically on the field since 2008, okay? Since 2008. This is 2017. 2008, David Wright played in 160 games. And listen, between 05 and 08, David Wright was an excellent player. Played 160 games in 05, 154 in 06, 160 in 07, 160 in 08. His OPS was over 900 in all of those years. 912, 912, 963, and 924. 100, 100 plus RBIs in all those years, 25 or more home runs in all of those seasons, 40 doubles plus in all of those seasons. 
15 or more stolen bases in all four of those seasons. I mean, he's a really good player. But that was 2008. 2009, 10 home runs, 72 RBIs. 2010, okay, he had a nice statistical season. 29 and 103. He stunk. The Mets stunk and he stunk. Those were window dressing numbers that were completely meaningless. The Mets were terrible. 2011, 14 and 61. I only played in 102 games. 2012, again, Mets are really bad. 21 and 93. Again, window dressing numbers. Completely irrelevant. Mets weren't net in, 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 in 09, the Mets were terrible. 10, they were terrible. 11, they were terrible. 2012, they were terrible. Never in the hunt for one second. Irrelevant season. 2013, 18 and 58. Irrelevant season. 2014, barely pl- uh, played 134 games. He had 535 at-bats. He had eight home runs, 63 RBIs. And then he hasn't played, basically, the last two years. He played 38 games in 2015. Interesting, by the way, when he was essentially completely out of the picture, the Mets made the World Series. 2016, 37 games. Interesting. Mets, when he was completely out of the picture for the most part, Mets made the playoffs. Kind of. Whatever. Technically, they made, I know I say I don't consider it the playoffs, but they technically made the playoffs. They made the playing game. So, I mean, this idea, that's nine, it's nine years ago, guys. Nine years. I've never seen a sports figure in New York get more of a pass and get and, and felt more sorry for than David Wright. And I guess it's just because he's a nice, happy-go-lucky guy who answers all the media's questions and smiles and has a nice disposition, I guess. Because can you imagine if this was Patrick Ewing? Patrick Ewing caught nothing but grief his whole career, and he was a thousand times the player David Wright was. First of all, those Knicks teams were in the playoffs every damn year Ewing played, other than his rookie year when he got hurt also and you know came into a terrible situation. And yes, I get it. Basketball and baseball are different. A lot more teams make the playoffs in basketball than they do in baseball. But the Knicks made the finals twice with Ewing. Ewing had huge games in playoff games and in some finals games, by the way. I understand Olajuwon outplayed him in 94. Olajuwon's also maybe a top 10 player of all time. David Wright did not a damn thing in the NLCS against the Cardinals. Nothing. Hitting third in that lineup. Or maybe it was second. I think it was third. No, he hit third in 06. Reyes hit leadoff Leduca second, right third. Delgado fourth. Beltron fifth. So again, I don't want to disparage David Wright, but let's just, can we just be honest about what David Wright had, has done as a career? And that's, he hasn't had a relevant season in nine seasons. And yet the Mets are still what? Holding out hope? Some foolish idea that David Wright's going to come riding in on his white horse when he's got spinal stenosis and a shoulder issue and a neck issue? I mean, it's just ridiculous. And again, what are we feeling sorry for David Wright for? Guy's made a ton of dough. He's universally loved here in New York. Again, you would think David Wright 
His tenure with the Mets brought like three World Series. You know, the captain, too. That, that drives me. That irritates me to no end. Ooh, the captain, the captain. Is there a worse captain in the history of New York sports than David Wright from a production standpoint? Give it up. And listen, I understand the Mets are somewhat hamstrung here because if David Wright decides he wants to try to keep playing, there's not much they can do. But, I mean, they really they need to just sit down with him in the offseason and say, look, here's, here's a, let's come to some sort of financial arrangement here, agreement. I mean, insurance has been paying 75% of his contract anyway. He's made a ton of money. He doesn't need any more money. I mean, he made a ton of money just on the, when he invested in vitamin water. And that, that sold to, I think, Coca-Cola a million years ago. But he's made a ton of money playing baseball, too. We'll see for a second what that says. David Wright's career earnings. Let's see. So he signed an eight-year, $138 million contract uh, with the Mets. When was that? I forget. All right, let's see. I'm going to look this up right now. I mean, listen. You know, this idea that, oh, well, you can't walk away from the. I mean, I, I understand to a certain degree. But, I mean, at what point is enough? I mean, he made $11 million in 13. He made 20 in 14. He made 20 in 15. He made $20 million last year. He's going to make $20 million this year. I mean, that's one, two, three, four. That's 80. That's $91 million. That's, that's just in the last five years he's made $90 million. You know, what did he make uh, before that? Here we go. All right, in 07, he only made one only, one, 1.35. In 08, he made 5.3. Now, 09, he made 7.8. Now we're up over $100 million for his career. He made 10 in, 10, 10.3 in 2010, he made 14.2. And 11 and 15 million. So he's made about $140 million playing baseball. I could probably be okay. What do you think? Think it'd be all right there? Financially, you think? It's time for it to end. Everyone needs to move on. It's ridiculous already. I mean, and again, this is just classic Mets. It's classic Mets. But, I mean, I shed no tears for David Wright. What am I, feel, what am I supposed to feel bad about? What am I supposed to feel so, oh, he deserved better. Why did he deserve better? Because he's a good guy? Okay, I guess you can make that argument. This guy's made $140 million playing a kid's game. Just, by, just from that. Who knows what other money he's made through endorsements? I told to, you know, I just mentioned the, the vitamin water thing, which is fine. I don't begrudge him that. That's great. Make as much money as you can possibly make. Great. That's great. Hasn't had a relevant season since 08. And I find it interesting, again, that the Mets' biggest success has been when he's not been a part of the team. Not saying he's a bad influence or a bad guy, but again, his his on the field production hasn't been relevant 
in nine seasons. That's it. That's just a fact. All right, let's go around the league in Major League Baseball. And, uh, you know, here we go. One month to go, basically. The Yankees got rained out last night. They've got a doubleheader now against the Indians, who are smoking hot. Indians now 18 games over 574 and 56. Uh, they are six and a half games clear of the Twins for the division lead. Um, seven in the loss column. I mean, barring barring some you know September collapse, Indians are winning that division. And by the way, don't look now. They are Houston Astros, and I understand they're going through a lot down there with the weather and everything like that. We'll put that aside. But you know the Astros. We talked about it last week. Been, been been very sloppy lately, probably for about three weeks now. Yes, they have, have had injuries to, to their starting pitchers and such, but uh, the Indians are only, I shouldn't say only, but they're six games back of the Astros for best record in the, in the American League. Um, So that bears watching. And the Red Sox are five games back of the Astros. But I would say right now, if you look at uh, the way the Red Sox and the Indians are playing, they are the better team than the Astros right now. They both have a better bullpen than the Astros, and we know how big bullpens are, particularly in the postseason. And, um, you know, the Indians, I mean, Juan Encarnacion, after a slow start, you know, he's back to, he's going to hit 30 and 100 like he always does. Um, Jay Bruce was a great pickup for them. You know, that lineup is is clicking, uh, and the pitching has come around. Indians are a formidable team, as are the Red Sox. Nice little sneaky under-the-radar move by the Red Sox, by the way, picking up Rajah Davis. Guys, you know, listen, he's, the, the, the stats nerds hate him because he's not a big uh, OPS guy. He's not a big on-base percent. But, you know, he's got 30 stolen bases this year. He can play all three outfield positions, can pinch run. He's got a little pop in his bat. He's a great spare part to have, great spare part. Really good pickup by the Red Sox there. And the Yankees, to their credit, still hanging in there at 70 and 60. Now, after their fast start, when I think they were 38 and 23 and 15 over, you know, they've played five under since then. They've been a pretty mediocre team for a while here. But they're starting to get some things in line. Sonny Gray's pitched well since he's come over. The the numbers don't bear it out because he's not gotten a lot of run support or fielding support. So his win-loss record isn't great, but he's pitched well. Tanaka's pitched well his last two starts. So Gray continues this pitching this well. And Tanaka gets it together. You know, that's a pretty good one, too, at the top of the rotation for the Yanks. And we know they've got a good bullpen. Now they've got Girardi's got a lot of parts he's got to kind of juggle now with Bird coming back and Starlin Castro coming back. I mean, Todd Frazier playing, and listen. I would never in a million years think that Ronald Torres, you know, a little 5'7", 145-pound, you know, middle infielder who wears an idiotic number 74 would be any good. And it would irritate me every single time he got a hit against my team if I were rooting against the Yankees. But the fact is, he's better or has played better than Todd Frazier. And Todd Frazier was hitting 206 when he came to the Yankees, basically hitting 206 with the Yankees. And he's hit a couple of home runs here and his defense is okay. But, I mean... If you want to put the best player on the field, not the biggest name, Torres has to play over Todd Frazier right now. you got a month to go. You want to try to catch the Red Sox or hold off the second wild card team? 
Torres should be playing over Todd Frazier. When Castro's back at second, and obviously Gregorius is going to play short. Gary Sanchez, by the way, ever since his little public scolding for his defense, has been on fire with the bat. And I haven't heard any too many issues about his defense since. By the way, Mets, you may want to pay attention to what happens when you hold your players accountable. I know I ranted and raved about it when it happened, but you may want to see what, what that's like. You hold a player accountable. And again, it's not, it's not about denigrating a guy. It's not about trying to make him look foolish. It's about just pointing out what everyone else in the world actually can see. And that was Sanchez's defense was subpar. That's all. It's not a personal attack. And he's been scalding hot since. And now they've got Aaron Hicks back. Aaron Judge taking a couple of uh, mental breaks here since he's, you know, been mired in a big slump since the All-Star break. They've got Hicks back. Gardner's had a good year. You know, Ellsbury's had a couple of big hits lately, but... Good win for the Red Sox last night. Chris Sale, seven shutout innings, 11 strikeouts. Addison Reed, good eighth inning. Kimbrell, dominant ninth. Red Sox now up four on the Yankees, three in the loss column. And then we go over the AL West. And, well, there's really not much to talk about. It's the Astros. Now, the wild card uh, is actually uh, quite interesting. Because you have got all of a sudden on the shoulders of a scalding hot Manny Machado, the Orioles have sort of wedged their way in with six wins in a row, seven and three in the last ten, two games over five hundred. The Twins, bless their hearts, at sixty-eight and sixty-three. The Angels at sixty-eight and sixty-five still hanging in. So those all those three teams are all fighting for that second wild card spot. So if the season were to end today, which I know is a dumb thing to say, but we'll say it anyway, the Twins would be the second wild card teams. The Yankees would play the Twins. And I guess if you could, now the problem is, you know, when you're that second wild card team, it's very hard to try to set up. It's almost nearly impossible to set up your rotation. But if you had your druthers, you were the twins, you'd like to have Irvin Santana be your pitcher. And if you're the Yankees, you'd like probably Severino to be, or Sonny Gray probably to be your, your starter there. But, you know, there's a lot of seasons still left. Still have a whole month to go. 30 games. 32 games. The Yankees are 70 and 60. So they played 130 games. There's 32 games left. Starting with the doubleheader today. Starts in about an hour. Rained out last night. But, I mean, the fact that the Orioles are now sort of back in the mix here for that second wild card just goes to show you, and, you know, shame on me. Take your own advice. I think I dismissed the Orioles probably two weeks ago. It's, and I, you know, I should take my own advice. Heed my own warnings. I say this all the time. Baseball's such a long season. It's so damn long. Now, to be fair to me, the one thing I did say is when you're over 500, get to 500, then I'll take you seriously. Well, the Orioles were under. Now they're over. Now I'll take you seriously. And Manny Machado, who's been red hot 
after I thought I gave him the classic Hayden Jinx, while I raved about him in the preseason during the World Baseball Classic, I mean, it's not like I was alone in this opinion that he's one of the best young players in the game. He is. But he'd been having a very unmanny Machado-like season up until recently. Now I believe he's up to 30 home runs. And, uh, well, let's see. We'll take a look at his statistics. I know he was hitting probably 230 less than a month ago, and now I'm pretty sure he is uh, over. Um, I, now I think he's in the high 260s. Well, we'll see right now. We'll look it up. Let's see. Machado is uh, is at 30 home runs, 87 RBIs, hitting 268. OPS is up to 824. Now, the on-base percentage at 320 is a little low for him. He's only drawn 41 walks. Um, so, you know, that's how good he is. It, kind of an off year for him. He still is going to be 30 and 100. Adam Jones, by the way, has had a very nice year for the Orioles. 25 home runs, seventh season in a row, by the way. They said 25 home runs. Now, I get it. A little of that is skewed because of the park he plays in. But nevertheless, and then the guy that's been their team MVP has been Jonathan Scope, who basically made his name as a Yankee killer for a few years. And now he's at 29 home runs, 97 RBIs already, with an 889 OPS hitting 300, 304, to be 100% accurate, with 80 runs scored. So he's got a good chance to score 100 runs. He's going to drive in 100 runs. Uh, he's had a really good year, and he's a good second baseman also. Yeah, the Orioles, is just, they're, they're pitching, their starting pitching is just so bad. It's gotten better, obviously, lately, but starting pitching, bad. Um, bullpen, you know, we know can be good. I mean, their best pitcher is Dylan Bundy's ERA is 3.94. So, anyway, it's interesting. That, that, that wild card, that second wild card, maybe even the first wild card, Probably not, um, but maybe even that first wild card might be uh, in play here down the stretch. Again, I'm not writing the Yankees off for the division. I mean, I, I know I predicted that I think the Red Sox are going to win the division. I stand by that. See, the other interesting thing about baseball, well, you know, let's go through the National League first real quick. So, you know, the NL East is, is not even worth discussing, as usual. Marlin, I mean, uh, Nationals. The only thing worth discussing there is Giancarlo Stanton now has 51 home runs. Uh, but, you know, Marl, uh, Nationals are going to walk away with that division. Uh, the Cubs still holding on there at 71 and 60, three and a half game lead over the Brewers, who are still hanging in there at 68 and 64. Cardinals, a game over 500, kind of in the mix for the wild card. They just, you know, it's been a season of fits and starts for the Cardinals. They just can never get anything rolling. And then, you know, the Dodgers, 91 wins. Uh, and then the Diamondbacks and the Rockies. You know, Diamondbacks have now gotten hot again. They've won five in a row after kind of stumbling. 7-3 uh, in their last 10. So they look to be firmly entrenched as that first wild card. And then uh, you've got... The Rockies at 72 and 60. I mean, they're only two behind the Diamondbacks for that first wild card. Um, but again, I just, I, I don't, the, the Rockies, four and six in the last 10. Uh, after a sizzling hot start, they've kind of come back to the pack here. So uh, if you're in the National League, if the season ended today, those would be your playoff teams. You'd have the Nationals, you'd have the Cubs, you'd have the Dodgers, the Diamondbacks, and the Rockies. See, the interesting thing about baseball, more so than any other sport, 
The regular season and the postseason have nothing to do with each other. They are completely and utterly opposite. Because the baseball season is so long and the way, you know, you build your team for success over the course of such a long season, right? You have to rely on a lot of guys, not just 25, not just all 25. I mean, almost every team is going to have injuries to their a starting pitcher here or there. And so you're probably going to need six, seven, sometimes maybe even eight starting pitchers. Uh, you're going to get position players hurt. You're going to call guys up. You know, the, the rosters are going to expand to f- up to 40 guys in the next day or so here. And, you know, it's just, it's a slog. It's just a long slog. And the way you build your team for 162 games is much different than the way you build your team for five games or seven games. And we've seen this now. We've seen wild card teams win the World Series in baseball. You don't see that. You don't see an eighth seeds winning the, the finals in the NBA. You see a wild card team occasionally here or there win the Super Bowl, but not often. Baseball is because it's so dependent on pitching and a short series, you get two hot pitchers. You can ride that all the way to a World Series, like the Giants have done several times. You know, Madison Bumgarner puts that team on his shoulders. You get a couple of uh, no-names or guys like Pedro Sandoval who stunk for his whole career except for two great runs in the postseason with the Giants. And you get a couple of guys who get some clutch hits. I mean, look at, look at going all the way back to 1988. The Mets played the Dodgers. I think the Mets were 16-2 and against the Dodgers in the regular season. The Mets had a much better team than the Dodgers. You had Kurt Gibson limping around on one leg, but they had Oral Hershiser. And Gibson, and that basically was good enough to somehow beat the Mets in 88, even though the Mets were a much better team, much better. Mets even beat Hershiser in game one in L.A. I mean, they didn't beat him specifically, but they won the game that he pitched, and they still lost that damn series. The regular season and postseason have nothing to do with each other in baseball, nothing. So if you're a Yankee fan, hey, just get in. You know, assuming Severino doesn't, you know, crumble under the pressure and Sonny Gray, and again, if Tanaka regains his form, that's as good a three as anybody else is going to be trotting out there. I mean, now listen, the Indians are going to have Kluber and maybe Salazar and Carrasco. Okay, that's pretty good three. Red Sox are going to have Sale, Pomeranz, who's pitched very well for them, by the way, and maybe David Price. But first of all, David Price has never been a, go- a good postseason pitcher, and he's been hurt, so I'd be reluctant to even inject him. I'm sure they will based on his pedigree, and I know Porcello has not had a very good year, so their options are, li- are limited. So I think right now you'd probably take those Yankees starters over the Red Sox first three starters in a playoff series. You know, the Twins have Irvin Santana, who, you know, he's having a nice year. He's basically a number three starter in a good rotation. He's been the ace for the Twins this year. You know, Berrios has had a nice year as a rookie. Who knows? But again, that's the other thing. Sometimes these rookies come out of nowhere. Remember K-Rod coming out of the bullpen in 0-2 for the Angels? So, I mean, just get in. Baseball is just get in. 
You know, an eight seed in basketball, I mean, we saw it, right? I mean, we saw what Golden State did to Portland. I mean, it was a joke, right? Cleveland basically toyed with, uh, who was the eight seed? Indiana? Uh, you know. But baseball doesn't matter. Now, maybe hockey is similar. I don't know hockey well enough. You know, I've always heard the term, sometimes you get a goalie stands on his head in a playoff series. And so a team that's seemingly inferior to the other team can somehow sneak out of there with a win because the goalie just plays, you know, lights out and shuts everything down. I guess that would be the equivalent in another major sport. But, I mean, other than that, baseball is completely unique when it comes to how different the regular season and the postseason are. And speaking of which, by the way, the poor Royals. They finally got off the shine last night. They got swept by the Indians over the weekend, got shut out all three games, and then got shut out the next They went, I think, 48 innings without scoring a run, the Royals. Finally, they exploded for six last night in a win. And by the way, they're still somewhat alive here for this second wild card. I mean, let's see. The Royals are, let's take a look here. Well, they're 65 and 66. I mean, they're not totally out of it yet, but... Uh, you know, let's see. Well, we'll, we'll take a look. Let's go to the wild card standings here, shall we? So the Yankees firmly entrenched here at 70 and 60, two and a half game lead on the Twins, three in the lost column. So again, as I said, right now, Yankees one, Twins two. Angels 68 and 65, two back in the lost column, game overall from the Twins. Orioles 67 and 65. Mariners 66 and 67, Rangers 65 and 66, Royals 65 and I mean, again, I, unless you're over 500, I, I'm not going to take you seriously. I'm not, especially when there's four or five teams in front of you. Just not. And by the way, terrible job out of the Rangers for not uh, agreeing to switch series with the Astros based on uh, the hurricane slash tropical storm Harvey situation that's gone on in Houston. That whole city's underwater. Okay, it's a mess what's going on down there. feel terrible for the people there. And apparently there's a series scheduled for this weekend or this week. It was, it's going on now between the Astros and the Rangers. They're playing it in Tropicana Field because the Rangers didn't want to play it in their park and then go play in Minute Maid Park in Houston late in September because they're still in a wild card race. I don't care what your excuse is. How about sometimes... You know, the needs of uh, the many outweigh the needs of the few. How about humanity comes more into play than whether or not you're going to make the second wild card, Texas Rangers? But I'll be rooting for you to lose about every game for the, from now to the rest of the year. What a disgrace that is. I mean, that is poor form. I mean, really? Loss of life and everything else that's going on down there? No, that's not more important than your precious maybe making the number two wild card. I don't care if you're going for the division. That is really, really just bad form all the way around. They ought to be shaming themselves. And by the way, Major League Baseball, I guess you can't make them do anything they don't want to do. But... And that's a bad look. At best, that's a bad look for the Rangers and their organization. 
All right, finally, we'll get you out of here on this. I know I give the guy a hard time a lot, uh, and that's J.J. Watt. Never about his play. He's a hell of a player, and I take him on my team in a second. But, you know, I, I call him attention-hungry and all these other things. Well, he's done a very good thing with that attention, and he's raised already over $5 million for relief for the people in the city of Houston uh, due to the flooding. Uh, obviously, he plays for the Houston Texans. So, you know what, J.J. Watt? Good on you, my friend. All right, that is it for this week's show. As always, thanks for listening. Check me out on iTunes, on Twitter, Facebook. We'll be back next week with an NFL preview. Until then, peace out.